Hello and welcome to the Investing on the Go podcast brought to you by Fund Calibre. I'm Darius McDermott and today we are joined by Ned and Leila Leyland, Fund Manager of the Merion Gold and Silver Fund. Thank you for coming and talking to us, Ned. Um, I know you're extremely passionate because we've met several times over the years about this particular subject. But gold is, it is quite an interesting thing and you do have physical gold as well as gold equities, which we will come on to. How do you go about buying a piece of gold and where do you store it? Is it in a bank vault with your name tattooed to it? Um, I'm sure some of our listeners would be really interested in the practicalities. Could you give us an explanation on that? Sure, there are many ways you can go about that, Darius, but um, the, the, the key is to do it in a cost-effective but um, well-custodied way. So there are, are, are sort of limitless options to invest in one times the gold price, and we buy what are called bullion funds. They're listed instruments in the US and Canada. Your, your name isn't on a specific bar, but the products are redeemable uh, in principle, so, so investors could... Um, an underlying investor could uh, redeem physical four shares uh, within the, the product. Uh, the ones that we buy cost about 0.4% per year to hold. If you did it yourself in a bank vault, it would probably cost you somewhere between one and two, maybe even 3% per year to do it. Like so that. it's a cost-effective way of actually holding physical asset. It's not just that. It's also the case that um, within a USIT fund, we have to hold listed securities anyway. So we couldn't, even if we wanted to hold physical in a vault, and, and, and for me to go in and, and uh, audit it on a regular basis, that wouldn't actually work on a practical level when we're not allowed to do that under the rules. Yeah. You also invest in <coughs> shares of gold mining companies. Um, could you give us an example of one such company? And is it gold the only thing that they, they mine, or is it one of sort of a diversified type of mining operation? Well, they very rarely only mine one thing. You find the odd stock where you'll get 90% in one particular metal, but generally no. And in gold and silver, one of the reasons for running a gold and silver fund is a lot of, of silver is found with gold and gold is found with silver. Uh, so Fresnia would be the one that I would suggest to you on the basis of this London listed. That's about equally split in terms of revenue between gold and silver. It's a Mexican silver mining company. Uh, well, at least we call it that because we're expecting silver to outperform gold over the next two to three years, at which point uh, more than half of the revenue will come from silver. It's uh, a big uh, geological endowment right in central Mexico. And beyond the gold and silver, they don't mine much else. But if you move beyond that, you generally find that lead and zinc is mined with silver and copper is mined with gold. So you find very big open pit, open cast copper gold mines all around the world. And you find a lot of um, underground lead, zinc, silver mines around the world. I mentioned in the introduction, this is a gold and silver fund, and you've just touched on silver there. So let's go straight into silver. Um, you can invest a, a substantial proportion of this fund in silver. Can you tell us more about why you chose gold and silver and maybe just touch on why particularly silver today, which you've just sure. highlighted? So, so gold and silver are, are what we call monetary metals. People call them precious metals, but um, within precious metals, which is, also includes platinum and palladium, you have monetary metals, which are gold and silver. Gold and silver historically have been money, um, sterling being a pound of sterling silver. That's where the word pound sterling comes from. It's from silver. It's also true of dollars. But gold and silver exist in foreign exchange markets even today. 
which is not true of these other things, platinum, palladium, etc. Um, so when you think about gold, really, you should be thinking about silver as well. They're really one thing. Silver is just the more volatile of the two metals in terms of from price a pricing action. perspective. Yeah, from a pricing perspective. Now that can flex quite a lot. So sometimes um, silver is doing around the same as gold. Sometimes it's doing slightly less than gold. So if gold goes up 10%, silver might go up 8%. But equally, there are periods where silver can do up to 10 times what gold does. Now, generally, that would be when they're both going up. Um, that's a function of several things, but, but a lot of that's to do with the fact that industrial users of silver, so that would be car manufacturers, electronics, the military, people like that, they can get quite nervous about just-in-time silver delivery, so they tend to sort of jump into the market when it gets hot uh, because they want to secure um, supply just in case there's an issue in, in, in deliveries. But silver can do 10 times. The last time that happened was in 2011. That was the last year where gold and silver were in a, in a bull market driven by loose monetary policy. Uh, gold went up 30% that year. Silver went up 300% that year. Wow. And this is a trend or a, um, a theme that we, as you say, we play strongly in the portfolio because silver, you want access to silver when the asset class is doing well. You don't want silver really when it's not doing well. Yeah. We must be clear about that. It does but that's one of the things you do in the fund, isn't it? You balance the gold and silver ratio. So I'm guessing from what you've said today, you've got a decent chunk of silver at the moment. Yeah, we're, we're 50% um, split straight through the portfolio. So we have... Um, about 18% in bullion, equally split between gold and silver, and then, and then equally sort of 40 plus percent in both sort of types of, of mining equity. But the thing to, to, to realize about silver is that in terms of their pricing point at the moment, you can have, sometimes I like to put it like this, if you imagine two plates, on one plate you have an ounce of gold, and on another plate you have 84 one ounce coins of silver. These two things buy you the same stuff all around the world, and you can choose, or I'm going to make you choose, between one or the other, which would you rather have? The interesting observation is that in the West, generally people will go for the silver because they'll be attracted by the, the large number of coins, the potential value proposition of the larger number. Yeah. And in Asia, people will always go for the gold coin. They've got no interest at all in the fact that there are 84 silver coins. Uh, equally, by the way, when silver goes through a big number like $100, $200 an ounce, which is a long way away from where we are now, by the way, uh, they will become attracted to the high price point of silver. It's called being a gift-in good. Um, but this discounted rate of 84 to 1 is very, very, very high in a historic context. So, so silver is very cheap compared to where it's been in the past. And we see this ratio going down a lot over the next few years, probably down towards something like 40 to 1, um, when you have a portfolio full of silver mining equities as well as gold mining equities, that should play in our in our favour. Excellent. Then to the investment case for gold, gold, silver, and their mining shares as a as an investment. What sort of role do you see them playing in an investor's portfolio? Well, I I, I mean, look, I've always taken the view that this is particularly important because of where we are in the long cycle. Now, I'll come back to that in a second, but, but even if you disregard that point and say, well, you're trying to market time things and look at it on a more academic basis, gold uh, provably should be in portfolios because it's a non-correlated asset class. And there are very few of those that qualify in the modern uh, financial markets as being diversified. Most things behave the same way. 
partly a function of QE, um, this sort of strange world that we're in, that things do behave the same way and gold doesn't. So it should be there anyway. But I think the, the key here is that we, we, have a, we have a lot of risk in money. So the risk in the system is in money, not in assets. This confuses a lot of people because they look at the behavior of equities or, or, or bond market and they think there's something wrong. But I'm going to say, no, what's wrong is, is, is in money because the central banks have issued 10 to 12 times more money into the system since uh, 08, and that's where the risk lies. So this product is set up to be a hedge, to be insurance against the risks in money. Uh, people, I think, would probably understand that conceptually, if you held sterling or even dollars under the bed for 10 or 20 years from this point forward, you wouldn't expect it to buy the same. Much goods, exactly. No, and probably you'd expect it to buy a lot less. Um, and that's the whole point of gold and of silver and of a fund like this, is to hedge those risks that are there, are quite big, um, and are not well covered by other assets that you might have in a portfolio. So basically they hedge against inflation, but also a good diversifier against equities and bonds. So I think... In the recent volatility in the sort of the summer months of 2019, as equities particularly had a volatile time, actually gold and silver did very nicely for us. So I think that is good evidence on the diversification. And then, Ned, finally, why today? What is really, you know, you're always a big bull on your asset class. But today I know more than ever you're fist pumping, table smashing, let's go, gold time. Yeah, uh, that's just to do with the fact that the We've been through a period of six or seven years where the central banks have been pretending, and it has been just a pretense all along, pretending that they can continue to hike rates, unwind their balance sheet, and go back to the 1980s. You'd have heard me say that before, Darius, where, you know, and, and, and that was never going to happen, but they did sell that, that ruse to the market and to people for a very long time. Now, this year, that's gone. So they've, they've given up on that narrative that's been there for a long time, and we've gone back towards... Uh, we've got to support, we've got to provide more stimulus. Uh, they're going to do more QE. So more of this extra money pumping in. Exactly right. And that's that's what drives gold and silver prices higher. So that's why right now I'm, I'm, I'm even more um, sort of on, on, on you uh, about this asset class than normal. Ned, that's absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk us through not just gold, but silver uh, and its position in a portfolio and why you're so particularly attracted to it today. I'm Darius McDermott, and if you'd like more information on the Merion Gold and Silver Fund or on the Investing on the Go podcast, please subscribe to fundcaliber.com. Please remember, we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It is not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at the time of listening.